Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. This is Heart Health Radio in studio right now, Dr. Franklin Weefald. Hello, sir. Hello. Today is the Notre Dame, North Carolina oh, yes. game. I want to let everybody know I'll be there. I won't be broadcasting, but uh, it'll be fun. You're going to be I, at the game. Yeah. Well, That's good. I, I go to the – I used to be team one of the team physicians for Notre Dame. Um, and, you know, there's a long-standing history of uh, my – being involved in the cardiac care for a lot of the big shots at Notre Dame, which got me into, yeah. you know, being one of the physicians for Notre Dame football. And I really got hooked on the whole thing. And so every year I go see one game now. Right. And the interesting thing, now that they're part of the ACC, at least, you know, uh, it's played six games yeah. against ACC people. So there's Wake Forest, there's NC State. There's UNC and there's Duke. And so usually there's one game here that's a home game for one of those teams against Notre Dame. So I get to go. And it's fun. It brings back old memories. And I should tell you the story someday about um, uh, particularly one um, uh, big shot at Notre Dame, Father Joyce, and how that probably made my career, you know. Really? Yeah, yeah. And um, it's a really good story. It's a story about... Not believing what everybody tells you, even if it's the Mayo Clinic. That's a really good story. You went against the Mayo Clinic? Yeah, I held the Mayo. No I kidding. Held the Mayo. We have time for this? Do you want to hear that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, we, so, we'll do this. So I was new in, in my practice. I was probably six months into it. And I got a phone call uh, only because I knew the family doctor at the Notre Dame Institute where they took care of them, all their old priests and stuff. See, Notre Dame is run by the priests. It still is run by the priests. Right. And so the two big guys, Father Hesburgh, Father Joyce, had taken the university from a men's college that had a football team mm-hmm. into now one of the top 20 ranked universities in the country. Well, Father Joyce uh, had been sick and he went to the Mayo Clinic and they told him he had a particular problem called idiopathic hypertrophic subaortic stenosis. Now, what that means is that the middle part of his heart had gotten thick and wouldn't let the blood out. Okay. And so back then, there was really no cure for that. Now there's some medicines and there's some techniques that really will cure that. So they sent him home basically to die. Oh, my. And I got a call from Jim Moriarty. He said, can you just follow Father Joyce and, you know, make him feel better, et cetera? I said, sure. So he comes over. What an elegant man. What a, a uh, just a great human being. Uh, very uh, generous with his time, and you know, really, you could see how this person had had used his stature as a man to bring Notre Dame into the you know prominence of universities. But anyway, we got along really well, and I listened to him. And there's a particular murmur, uh, and that's a noise a doctor can hear. You put the stethoscope on your chest, and whew, you know, swooshy, 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 and it just didn't make sense. Okay, yeah. because if you have this IHSS. The murmur, when you bear down like you're having a bowel movement, is supposed to get louder. And it really didn't. So I thought to myself, well, you know, maybe it's just my stethoscope. Maybe yours are plugged today, you know. So I sort of let it go. 
And then the next day, I got a call from a very, very prominent Notre Dame alumnus who was also one of my professors at Johns Hopkins. Yes. A guy named Bill Bell. Yeah. And I, you know, the, I guess the cognoscente of Notre Dame, they talk to each other. Within a day, Bill Bell had heard that I was going to be his cardiologist. Yeah. And he calls me up and starts yelling at me. <laughs> Frank, you can't let Father Joyce die. He's too important. <laughs> and so I said. As opposed well, to Joe Blow. Right. Right. And I said, well, you know, Dr. Bell, and I still called him Dr. Bell. Of course, he yeah. could call me Frank. Yeah. And he said, I said, it's the Mayo Clinic. They said he's got IHSS, nothing we can do. And he used a word that Notre Dame people aren't supposed to use about, <laughs> you know, the Mayo Clinic. He said, you're from Johns Hopkins. Right. And I said, well, you know, Dr. Bell, the murmur didn't sound quite right. He said, see, get yes. him back in your office. <laughs> so I called up Father Joyce and, and, you know, I said, hey, Bill Bell called me and he goes, Oh, really? What did he say? <laughs> As knowing how sure, Bell, sure. Bell was. And I told him, and I said, there's a, sp- a particular test that we should do called a transesophageal echo. So when you put an ultrasound on someone's chest wall, ribs, fat, you know, tissue can get in the way because the chest wall is in front of the heart. And so when you're beaming these, these sound waves, you can get blurriness from, you know, different uh, reflections off of different types of tissue. Yeah. So when you put someone to sleep, like you do an endoscopy for looking at the esophagus, yeah. well, you put the ultrasound probe down the esophagus because there's only a thin layer of tissue between the ultrasound and the heart. Okay. I mean, the esophagus and the heart. So you can see really clearly. So I don't know why the Mayo Clinic hadn't done that. So I... Called him in, we brought him in, and he had a different diagnosis. His mitral valve, which is the valve that controls the flow of blood from the lungs to the heart, mm-hmm. was leaking. Okay. And the interesting thing about the leak is that it, it shot the blood right next to the aorta. So the aorta is the tube that carries blood out of the heart. And so the jet of blood from the leaking valve was hugging the aorta, the side of the aorta. So that's why the murmur traveled up, you know, along the aorta instead of where you'd expect it from a leaky mitral valve. All we had to do was repair the valve. Okay? Yeah. So I call my buddy, the surgeon. We do his heart catheterization. His arteries are clear. And he's all set and ready to have surgery. Yeah. And I'm in my office and I get a call from the nurse. Yeah. Frank. She yeah. called me Frank. The yeah. Mayo Clinic just called. They've got, yeah. a, they've got an airplane coming to pick him up, pick up Father Joyce. I what? said, oh, you know, that makes sense. What? That, that story's not over. So it's I- stealing your patient. No, no. So I um, uh, excused myself from the office and rescheduled some people. Sure. And then, at that time, my office was connected to the hospital by a tunnel. So I got a long walk through that tunnel, and I'm thinking, what am I going to say to Father Joyce? And- Basically came to the conclusion that, you know, even though I'm Johns Hopkins and Duke, the Mayo Clinic had taken care of him, you know, um, I can imagine that they wanted to avoid a major embarrassment um, by sending someone home to die only to find out that he had something eminently curable. Right. So I walk into Father Joyce's room, prepared to, you know, give my speech about I understand, and Father Hesper, 
who was the most famous of the priests at Notre Dame, was sitting there with Father George. They were buddies. Yeah. They worked together for 35 years building Notre Dame into a national university. And so Hesper goes, Frank! (laughs) I'd never met him. Everybody called you Frank at that time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He said, "Uh, how are you? And he said, thank you for helping Father Joyce. And I said, yes, you know, I understand that the Mayo Clinic has an airplane on the way to pick you up. (laughs) And he didn't even know. They called, the Mayo Clinic called the hospital and told the nurses to get him ready. We're going to come pick him up at the airport in a medical jet. And they hadn't called Father Joyce to tell him. I guess they were going to ambush him. But anyway, so Father Joyce looked at me and said, Frank, you're the one who picked this up. Right. I'm staying here to get fixed. Yeah, it's a good idea. So, yep. And he had surgery the next day, and he lived 15 years. Wow. Yeah. Last time I saw him, I had gone back for a football game, and there was a very famous restaurant in South Bend called the La Salle Grill. Yeah. And he was there with some friends and uh, sat down and talked to him for a long time. That's great. But it was, um, it was my, um, I guess, famous claim to fame. Famous claim to fame. I don't know how you say that. But after that, everybody in Notre Dame wanted me to help, you know. And so there was a football <laughs> player who had an electrical problem with his heart. Yeah. And they had told him he couldn't play. And so they got a second opinion from me. And we worked him out. He played. And yeah. then there was a basketball player who had a, a thick heart. And um, they told him he couldn't play, but we got him to play. So anyway, uh, cool. that, if you wonder why I go to Notre Dame football, think of Father Joyce in heaven somewhere, right. smiling down. Right. Yeah. Saying you gave him an extra, you know. 15 years. 15 years. Yeah. All right. Judy and Carrie, thank you very much for hanging on. How you doing, Judy? I'm better than I deserve, that's for sure. Well, that's great. <laughs> so what's uh, up? I'm going to Europe, and I wanted to know if if um, Dr. Weepall would want me to wear uh, compression stockings. Um, mm. I had a triple bypass about 15 years ago. Okay. And I take Zetia, Lipitor, Amlodipine, Toprol, Losartan. What else don't I take, you know? Sounds like you got a good doctor. I hope so. Yeah, those are all great medicines for you. Let me ask yeah. you a question. Did they take one of the veins out of your legs to do the bypass? Um, I think they did. Yeah, do you have a scar down there on the leg, or did they? Yeah, that's what they usually do. It's called a saphenous vein, huh, and it's in, the, it's in the leg, and they turn it around. You know why they turn it around? Mm. Your veins have valves in them so that the blood can only flow one way. Sure. Right? Yeah, yeah. So if they didn't turn it around, the valve would be the opposite direction. Well, yeah, it wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, like I, I've actually seen that. The surgeon forgot to turn it around. Good but anyway, Lord. yeah. So let me, why would compression stockings be good for you? Well, I don't know. Yeah. Do, do your legs swell? Because the amlodipine, one of the side effects of amlodipine is foot swelling. And so, um, but one of the major reasons why I recommend compression stockings for everybody, yeah. but especially for those people who've had heart surgery and they've taken the vein out because there are about seven or eight veins in your leg, which is why usually you can spare one. But even uh-huh. if they even if you, they take out one, you've got others. Um, it's always good. And the other thing is, is that as we get older, and I'm in that age group now, two years to Medicare, can you believe that? Good for you. And um, <laughs> our veins get weaker as we grow older. And right. the valves begin to not close all the way. So I'm one of these 
uh, people who needs to wear compression stockings because I'm getting little teeny weeny um, uh, vessels. Uh, what are they called? Varicose, varicose veins. veins. Varicose veins. Yeah. And the other thing about wearing compression stockings when you're working and on your feet all the time is that they keep the blood more toward your central body. Yeah. So it'll keep your blood pressure at a at a right level. And you know, I did the experiment. I wore compression stockings for a week, and I didn't wear them for a week. Yeah. And I had much more energy, uh, and I, f- I could last longer during the day when I wore my compression stockings. So, oh, but the uh, one thing you don't want to do is get really tight ones. Uh, the really tight ones make are so uncomfortable you don't want to wear them. Okay. So unless you have severe ropey looking varicose veins, go to the medical supply store to get them okay. because they can help you find one. Now, it, it's compli- well, that, it's not that complicated. Mild is 20 millimeters of mercury, okay? And that means it's just a mild amount of compression. And then the other thing is um, calf high, uh, knee high are good, but you, if it depends on the shape of your legs. If you get the top part of the compression stockings too tight, it can actually sort of negate the help. So you want them to stay up on your uh, calf, but you don't want that ribbon around the top to be constricting. Right. You just want it snuggy enough that it won't fall down. But if they do fall down, that's okay. Just pull them back up, you know. But I think you're very wise to think about that. Um, well, I, I'm and a dancer, really and uh, I, I do a, a whole lot of, and I play tennis and all that. So Great. My, the question is, uh, because, oh, maybe because they did take the vein out, that's why my left, la- my left uh, leg is a little bit fatter. That's exactly right. And that ain't fat, lady. That's a little I, bit of fluid. That's fluid, <laughs> right. Oh, I got in trouble the other day. I got A lady came in and said, my feet are swelling. Do I have heart failure, you know? Oh, no. And I'm squeezing. The way you can tell it's fluid yeah, 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 yeah. is that you put your thumb in there. I know that, yeah. And it leaves an indentation, and you can feel the indentation. Well, I am sorry, but the lady's legs were fat. Oh, you did and not say that. So she, well, I didn't use the F word. Okay, good. I said, uh, ma'am, there's adipose tissue. It's not fluid. <laughs> and she said, what's adipose tissue? And I grabbed my own belly, which has ample amounts of adipose tissue. And she got upset. But, um, yeah, that's one the reason why your leg is a little bigger than the other leg. Now, do you, do you watch basketball, ma'am? Uh, yes. Okay, have you noticed one thing yeah. about basketball players? They wear compression stockings all the way up to their thighs. Oh. And why? They do, yeah. Because it keeps the blood more toward the center of their body and mm-hmm. keeps them uh, well hydrated. Well, keeps their blood pressure up. So very smart move. What's your, I got one question. What's your LDL? Do you know your number? Oh, it's terrible. What do you mean? It's uh, my LDL. I have been fighting it all my life. I've mm-hmm. done everything from red yeast, rice, and all that to, anyway, it's 70, I think. That's not point. bad. Uh, that's 70? Okay, you know, that used to be our target. And you said you're on Lipitor, is that right? I am, yes. Have they tried Zadia? Z-E-T? Uh, yeah. It didn't help. All right, let me let me tell you, you're not my patient. I can't diagnose you. But there is a wonderful medicine out now called Repatha. Mm-hmm. It's uh, an injection. You can take either once a month or yeah. twice a month. And believe me, the needle is so teeny-weeny tiny you can't feel it. Yeah. 
And you talk. give it to yourself. It's I'm so sorry. Easy. Do you give it to yourself? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a little tiny pen. And um, it's it's like an insulin pen, but the needle's even smaller. Wow. And I do it. Um, I I um, now give mine once a month. They have a they have an actual uh, pump now, I and mean, you know I like gadgets. Yeah, yeah. So I just attach the pump and push a button, and weans it in. But the the best thing is you get these pens and you just put it on your little belly fat and push uh-huh. the button. Ask uh, your doctor you, because the doctor you, did uh, talk about that last time. Yeah, and I thought it's uh, well worth it. And my LDL is now eleven. I'm so jealous. Yeah. Well, no, you, listen. No, no, no. But let me tell you something. I, when I found out I had my blockage, my LDL was 178. That's like impossibly high. Yeah. And I took I took enough Lipitor to kill a horse, and I got it down only to 130. So you're beating me at 70 versus 130. And then I started taking the shot. It became 11. Yeah. And my little weenie teeny blockage went away after two years. That's good. So, so if, yeah. if if I take that, will I eliminate Zetia and Lipitor and nope. a lot of Nope, so keep problems? on them, keep on them. And let me tell you, the studies have shown not just prevention of future uh, events, but the whatever blockage you have in there, twenty five percent, forty percent, that doesn't need a bypass or stent, goes away. That's good. I'm serious. It's called plaque regression. Yeah. Now, the other thing, ask your doctor about is Vasepa, V-A-S-C-E-P-A. Mm-hmm. That is a purified fish oil and icosapentoic acid. And that also, in combination with these things, reduces the amount of cholesterol buildup. It's called plaque regression. So listen, wear your stockings and talk to your doctor about Repatha and Vasepa and have a great day. Uh, an injectable? No, that's a pill. I'm sorry. It, you know how fish oil looks like a uh, a capsule oh, with vitamin like. Yeah, yeah it, they're big capsules. They come in five hundreds and a thousands, and okay. I take two one thousands twice a day, wow. and uh, I'm happy as a clam. Okay, Judy, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And that was a, that was a fish oil pun. Thank yep. you, Judy. All right, take well, care. Well, no, that's clam oil, not clam. fish oil. I'm just saying. But where know, did it, listen, where did happy as a clam come out of? I, I don't know. Clams How can are... clams be happy when you crack open their house and <laughs> dig them out? You know, they can't be happy. All right. We're going to talk about Wagovi, one of the things you've talked about oh, yeah. before on this show. Also, uh, It's in my all-time list of great new medicines. Also, apparently, the a fetus will make a funny look. On its face. Well, no, it just goes to show you that <laughs> that the out of the mouths of babes yes. tell this is the truth. Okay. Okay. That's uh, when you feed the mom kale. That's coming up on this radio show. This is uh, Heart Health Radio. This is Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. New York Times has done a bunch of stories. On nonprofit hospitals, but also profit hospitals. Well, let me tell you. Did you know that nonprofits make more than profits? Do they really? It's amazing. Sure. And, you know, listen, we have great hospitals here. Sure, sure. I'm not applying what I'm saying to weight med because I can tell you right now, weight med doesn't do this stuff. Okay. Okay. Weight med is a nonprofit hospital. I have never seen bad behavior 
uh, anywhere on right. the part of white men. They right. live up to their um, um, you Mission. know faith sure. in what they do. But what's happening now is large uh, hospital chains, um, and I hate to say this, especially some of the Catholic-run um, hospital chains, um, are becoming vicious when it comes to collecting money from indigent patients. That's terrible. And the uh, phone collectors, you know, um, are being taught now not to say how much can you pay, but you will pay now. And, and that's the kind of... Uh. Um, and what they don't tell them is that many states require not-for-profit hospitals um, to give charity care. A percentage of their budget should right. be related to charity care, giving back to the community. I know White Med, hit, they hit their target goal every year on right. charity care. Right. So the problem is a lot of these uh, hospitals are not doing that. And, you know, they're making billions a year right. in quote-unquote profits that are not supposed to be non-profits. They're supposed to give that money back to the community. Right. And, you know, some of the heads of these uh, non-profit chains are making 10 $15 million a year. Right. And so there is a, a, an example, and I think it was in Philadelphia, where they had a Catholic hospital in a very poor neighborhood. And basically, they began to just shut this thing down and move um, all of the uh, high-ranking um, procedural things like orthopedics and cardiology to their outlying hospital in the rich suburb. Right. And so what would happen is you'd come to, if you were in this poor neighborhood, you'd come to your hospital and they have to transfer you out. And some people weren't making it. And if you make uh, a certain amount of money above the poverty line, you, are, you qualify for charity care. Ask the hospital when they call you shaking in your tree for money right. if you qualify. Because if you ask, they have to tell you. We're, we're going to talk more about that yep. on today's show. This is Heart Health Radio. Welcome to Heart Health with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Call us with your health questions at 919-860-9783. This is Heart Health Radio, and uh, we welcome back to the broadcast Rose Hoban from North Carolina Health News. Dot org. Hi, Rose. How are you? Good, and welcome back to you, Dave. Thank you. Thank you. I, we're going to tell my story at some point during today's show. I, I, I've just gone through. What, you just wouldn't believe it. Well, he, he's got his foot in the door about that story. <laughs> All right, listen. You've written a story published just in the last couple of days about North Carolina rates of sexually transmitted diseases actually increasing while we're supposed to be during the during the pandemic when we were all supposed to be socially distant yeah <laughs> apparently not all of us not, all, not everybody no i mean it's it's really nothing to laugh at but uh but it is it's sort of like ah, i thought everyone was supposed to be socially distant but not um it's interesting you know like one of the things that i think uh, health officials are the most concerned about is cases of syphilis, which yeah. um, one of the state health officials, she described the syphilis rates as 
swingy. In other words, that like because it's so frigging easy to treat, yeah. you can really kind of suppress it really quick, but you need to know that it's out there. Um, but that's been surging, and sadly, we've had uh, a, a couple dozen children who were born with congenital syphilis. And, oh my god! Um, right, and so two of it was thirty-one children born with congenital syphilis. Two have died. Not every child is going to have lots of adverse effects, but they can be born with neurological problems, blindness, deafness. You know, it's uh, right. we we had done a really good job. You know, and I mean, everyone sort of was talking a lot about contact tracing during the pandemic. Contact tracing actually came out of the you know how like the informing the circles of people around you for sexually transmitted infections. Right. Um, and I I think uh, Dr. Weisfeld, you and I, do you remember when we were young? And there was a commercial, and it was a young woman getting on the phone and saying, yeah, I have VD. Mm-hmm. Um, right? Because people are somewhat obligated to let others know that they've got, they've had this infection. Oh, the, yeah. Um, the, and that's the biggest problem now, is that nobody is fessing up. Is getting people to sort of, you know, like, if you come up with a case of syphilis, then health officials are going to say, like, okay. You know, who have you been having relations with over the past couple months? And can you remember everybody? And can you give us contact information? And, you know, and that's that's where that's the sort of that's where contact tracing came out of. Well, I have picked Uh, up personally and, you know, I I didn't, you know, in my practice, I do a lot of internal medicine. I have picked mm -hmm. up personally for STD kit, not be, no, I haven't no. picked them up. I meant I diagnosed them. Good gosh. Don't anybody out there say Dr. Weefald has had four STDs. Um, and it is alarming um, because uh, one of the cases I got uh, or I diagnosed was in late stage syphilis. Uh, it was a woman. Oh, no. And so she had been treated for a rash and for low-grade fevers for about six months. And, you know, they, they thought it was Lyme, they thought it was rheumatoid arthritis, then they thought it was psoriatic arthritis. And luckily for her, she came to see me, and I trained at Johns Hopkins in the 80s mm-hmm. when STDs were really high. And one of the things they pounded into our head is, you know, tertiary, secondary syphilis rashes. And so, yeah, so I actually even did a biopsy and got a what's called an RPR, a rapid plasma reagent, and they were both positive. And in fact, mm-hmm. the interesting thing is the pathologist described the lesion of syphilis to the nth degree, exactly what you would get out of a textbook, yeah. and then mm-hmm. said, I don't know what this is. Yeah, isn't that amazing? That mm-hmm. pathologist trained, you know, board-certified pathologist could describe the exact way that a skin full of, you know, treponemes, which are the bacteria for syphilis, and then not know what it is. And so it's it's really amazing because we've forgotten about it. I look at your graph here. In 2002, there were less than 500 cases. And now in 2020, 2,342. Right? It's amazing. And the thing that's really weird to me is that in 2002, the cases between men and women were basically equal. Uh-huh. Now, there are five times as many cases being reported in men as in women. Now, Rose, it takes two to tango, right? It does. So these women are not being diagnosed. 
right? That's true. That's they're true. not also, being diagnosed. And why is that? So because, uh, yeah. That. Well, they think it's a yeast infection, right? Or That's a couple of them that I've had, Doctor. We thought I have a yeast infection. And it was something else. It's thing that, like, it's asymptomatic. Mm-hmm. The initial, the initial uh, canker is, the, is the, the technical term. It's like, a, it's like an open sore. It's mm-hmm. frequently not visible. In mm-hmm. It's inside. So right. you don't see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that... And it was, it yeah. was interesting because one of the people I talked to, she said that, you know, like, physicians who are doing prenatal care or providers doing prenatal care... They always have to have a high, quote-unquote, index of suspicion, right? Right. And that you really should be having three syphilis tests throughout the course of pregnancy. Right. And that often they're sort of like doing the first one and going like, "Eh, there's no syphilis, you're good, right? Mm -hmm. And then not not following through. Right. And women Uh, should know that men can transmit syphilis to you without any uh, physical abnormality on the on the outside. In other words, mm. uh, it can look normal and whatever, and they are still infectious. And mm-hmm. so it's a very difficult thing. Now, let me tell you, my five-year-old daughter was looking at your website, and she said, mm-hmm. that's a nice picture, Daddy, but why is there a banana and a balloon? <laughs> I want to know. Did yeah. you pick out that illustration? I did. Awesome. <laughs> well, <laughs> gonna... you know, like, remember, like, remember the you know the textbooks that we would have, and there'd be like a picture of a person that had the sort of black rectangle over their eyes. I yes. wasn't going to do that, right? Yeah. Right. 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 So, I think it's great. I am actually. I've printed it out, and I'm having it framed. <laughs> And it's going to go in my waiting room. That's not a balloon. And it's going to say, any complaints, call Rose. <laughs> All right. Just a reminder how to stay safe or at least safer. Yeah. I th- right. is, do they still, you should know this, do they still teach in high school sex education how to put a condom on by using a banana? Is that what they do? I I think they do yeah. do that in high schools where they teach that, right? Not everyone's doing that. Yeah, when Dave when Dave was in high school, it was uh, a green bean. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just tell you no that comment. the no there comment. is there is a guarantee that if you're teaching that in high school with a banana and a condom, they are the students are rolling their eyes right. at you mm-hmm. to uh-huh. say, uh, "Yeah, I've been there, done that." Well, one of the things, and again, if 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 anybody listening to this objects, just turn off the radio. Rose, they need we. They have it's like antibiotics. Okay, we've had the same antibiotics for forty years. Okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. why hasn't anybody tried to design a prophylactic or a condom that is that is you know, more acceptable to the population. Because I can tell you right now that this is the number one reason why people don't use them is because they feel they're uncomfortable or they don't. And so, you know, if some company, Johnson & Johnson, would do some research on developing one Uh that would still, you know, give people the the pleasurable feelings that they want uh-huh. and be effective. I mean, it's the same thing for the last 100 years and nobody's improved upon it. Well, it's, uh, uh, well yeah, you know, th- th- don't think that hasn't been happening. Like, But it's, it's, it's a tough, it's a hard, 
thing to, to do, right? It's yes. definitely hard. There is a female condom. If you talk to HIV, oh my God. Have like you, the holy grail, right? Have you seen this one? This is the holy grail. I have seen a, a female condom. Oh my God. And, um, right? And so this is like, there, this is not something that no one's been thinking about for the past three decades with HIV, right? right? And it's, but with all these space age materials and you know everything that's been developed, you think about the textile industry here in in North Carolina. Yeah. It, you know, if you can if you can invent a better mousetrap, yes, why can't they develop something that's going to be in that's going to encourage yes safer sex? Well, well, uh, I mean, if you think about it, like there are like ancient condoms, right? Like uh, you know where the you know where the word condom comes from, don't you? No. It, it's from the, uh, the 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 man who was the bishop of Condon. Oh my France, god! <laughs> who was known for his prowess, and he was using lambskin lambskin right. condoms yeah. to keep mm-hmm. his partners from becoming pregnant. But that Which doesn't prevent STDs. But it doesn't prevent STDs. Right. Because it's right? a, you need a non permeable membrane. Right. I mean, this is a really tough conundrum. There was a they were doing work. There was a group that was doing, because I, t- I talked to a bunch of HIV uh, uh, folks a few years ago, and they were talking about doing, uh, having some kind of suppository that women could use mm. that would block HIV. And, you know, they were testing it and mm. it failed, right? Like, so they've been trying different approaches, but um, it's a close and uh, uh, intimate space mm. that is being addressed, and so if you're looking to create some type of barrier, I think there's always going to be a challenge that way. Yeah. Just because you know, like, is it is it watertight? Is it non a non permeable right. membrane? Will it block? disease mm-hmm. you know will it be comfortable you know it's, it's all of that stuff this is that's a it's actually a much harder problem i think yeah than I, all you people out there a much in, more challenging problem than yeah all you people out there who want to invent something invent a better prophylactic okay yeah okay. just invent yeah, one all right. yeah that's a good point north carolina so. health news.org thank you rose hoban Thank you, gentlemen. Good to be back. All right. Have a great day. Good talk. Good talk. I'm glad we glad we all. Are we going to get in trouble over this? No. No. Okay. Is Curtis Media going to going to have to apologize? And no. No, Okay. No. We did it in a tasteful way. Even I was mature during that. Okay. Good. All right. So there is a story out that fetuses in the womb, babies in the womb, make sourpuss faces. When mom eats kale. And I don't blame them. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so what people don't realize is that you can do a 3D ultrasound, no, 4D yeah. ultrasound, yeah. and I've seen this, and they're so great. You can you can see the baby, you know, <laughs> smiling and opening the eyes and, you know, scratching its face. And so somebody said, well, you know, there's, there's passage, obviously, of nutrients yeah. through the fetal um, barrier and you know they're little astronauts and they're they're getting their nutrition <laughs> from the placenta to the umbilical cord yeah so they said well let's see what the baby really likes and so they fed this woman a bunch of kale and i'm you know let me tell you okay kale is probably good for you 
I mean, I don't know. I've not investigated this, okay? But let me tell you, if, if I had to eat anything but yeah. kale, yeah. I would pick anything over sure. kale. And the babies know. I mean, out of the mouths of babes, they know. And this baby's face, I saw it on the video. Yeah. And if you could just imagine what a baby would look like sucking on a lemon, okay? Yeah. And that's what the baby's face was just five minutes after mommy ate kale. And then they fed the baby or a the carrot. mom a carrot. A carrot. And the baby's face lit up and was actually smacking its lips with the carrot. Wow. So what the next thing in my diagnosis is going to be what? Yeah. The hostess ho-ho. And I'll bet you within 30 seconds after ingesting a hostess ho-ho. And that's even without unrolling it, okay? You could just just eat it, you know? (laughs) Um, You could tell that my favorite thing growing up was the hostess ho-ho. But anyway, the point I'm trying to make is, yes, your baby knows what you're eating. That's neat. And if you're eating kale, your baby doesn't like it. Okay? Just doesn't. Very cool. Yeah. All right. You're listening to Heart Health Radio. Listen, it's a 90-minute show, which means we, we really don't have all that much time left. So would you please call 919-860-9783. 919-860-9783. Heart Health Radio. Well, you know you make me want. This is Heart Health Radio with board-certified internal medicine specialist and cardiologist. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm Dr. I'm, Franklin Weefall. I'm getting that question all the time now. What does internal medicine specialist mean? Because everybody's used to hearing the term family doctor. Sure. And so, you know, now that I've uh, not been doing, you know, stents and uh, catheterizations and pacemakers, I'm in the office all the time. People are saying, oh, you're a family doctor now. And I have nothing against family doctors, but it, it kind of makes me wonder why we don't know about internal medicine. Yeah. And it's adult medicine. And people think, you know, Dr. Weefel, you're just, I had a pharmacist call me up and said, why are you prescribing this diabetes medicine? I mean, the nerve to think that I should <laughs> not be prescribing a diabetes medicine. Right. Because you're just a heart doctor. Can you believe that's what, that's what the guy said? Oh, boy. Now, you have to go to medical no, college for four years. Yeah. Then you have to go to medical school for four years. And before you become a cardiologist, you have to do internal medicine. And what is that? It's everything. Neurology, uh, pulmonology, yeah. nephrology. I mean, you learn all this stuff. Yeah. And um, some of the best uh, doctors for adults who have medical illnesses are internal medicine specialists. Why? Because they know a lot about everything okay. that has to do with uh, the human uh, body. Sure. And so this gets us to our shout out, Stevie Collier. Yeah. Stevie's had a couple of stents mm-hmm. and, uh, in his heart, but his main biggest problem is his lungs because he's been smoking since he was seven years old. And Stevie um, is a great human being. You know, loves his wife, works like you know the Dickens, and he has really bad lungs. And so, he still smoked, and we got him through a lot of pneumonia episodes. Um, we had a cancer scare. We did one of those lung cancer screenings that everybody should who smokes should have. It's free from Medicare. Yeah. And we found a lesion. It looked like a cancer. Uh, praise the Lord! It was just an old fungus. 
that masqueraded as a cancer. Yeah. And then he was in the hospital for three weeks, not really bad lungs. And for that three weeks, obviously, he didn't smoke. So he came to see me and he said, look, I'm hanging in there. Yeah. I'm not smoking, but yeah. man, I could have one right now. Yeah. And that's when I looked at him in the eye and said, I'm doing something for you. I'm quitting smoking too. Yes. And I did, yes. eight weeks now and and so i want to shout out stevie he's he's hanging in there he hadn't smoked again um his lungs are doing a little bit better good uh, a lot better actually but now he's up against a back problem and he has what's called a compression fracture so your your backbones are little squares right they're they're um hockey pucks yeah and those are called the vertebral bodies and as we get older if you fall on your butt and your back hurts get thee to an x-ray machine because the vertebral bodies can collapse, and those are called compression fractures, and they can easily be fixed. And what the doctors do, and Dr. Lohr is going to do his procedure at uh, Triangle Vascular um, because he's an interventional radiologist. And under an x-ray guidance, they put a little teeny-weeny needle. Well, it's not actually teeny-weeny. It's a pretty big needle. Really? Through your skin, into they core into the vertebral body, and they expand it with something called bone cement. And so they can just fill it up. Sure. uh, Sort of like a uh, cupcake that's being filled with uh, cream on the inside. Mm. You know, that's how they do that. Did you know that? Delicious. Oh, yes. They don't actually grow the cup, bake the cupcake around the cream filling. They squirt it in. Well, that's the same way. And they squirt in the bone cement until that vertebral body, the bone, is back up to normal size. And it relieves the pain. It really works well. So I wanted to give Stevie a shout out for his not smoking. And Stevie, I'm still not smoking. I did it for you. It's sort of like what I told him. That if you got cancer and lost your hair, I'm shaving my head for you. And so every time you feel like smoking, you say, Dr. Weefall gave up. Something he loved for me. (laughs) And so uh, that's a, it's actually a good motivation for me. It was the best motivation is that I want Stevie to, to remember every time he wants to light one up that I quit for him. All right. I got a story to tell. Yeah. I've been off the radio for two weeks. The reason I've been off the radio is because two weeks ago I burned the bottom of my feet. Ouch. On a deck. It was at a resort, at a hotel. It was a where holiday. were you? It's a holiday weekend. I don't want to mention in Riker? where. I was at a. It's not their our, fault. Yeah. One of our beaches. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the sun heated the deck, and I stood on it, and I've got diabetic neuropathy. Didn't feel it, and burned the bottom of my feet off. Yeah. So I. Was it second in, degree or third degree burn? It was both second and third. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and and I have been, I was a week in, uh, Wake Med regular, and then another week in Wake Med. Did they have to debride the tissue off and stuff? No, no, no. They, they didn't have to do it at all uh, because it's it just off. peeled off. It sure did. Wow. Yeah, it's a terrible thing. It imagine the largest blister you could have ever imagined. Wow. That's what happened to my bottom uh-huh. of my feet. Wow. So I I want to say hey to all the people who work at the the physical therapy and occupational therapy and the rehab center. See, this is it. I've spent the last week in rehab, uh-huh. not the fun kind of rehab where you get uh. to go get to you know overdo uh, drugs or or drink and then you get you get to go there. No, no, this was physical rehab. 
when do you get to hours stand up on your feet again? How long? A um, couple of weeks. Oh, wow. A couple of weeks. So I'm I'm in a wheelchair. Do you have one of those Hoyer lifts to get you into bed? No, no, no. I just scoot in. No, you want one. It's like no, a trapeze. I do, I do not yeah, want Yeah, your that. wife would love it because no, you, no, you pull no, this no, thing no. up, you slide it under your no. butt, you crank it up, and then she could whirl you around. I have you know, a lot of- Up and of, down and all that stuff. I got a lot of new res, newfound respect for people who are actually paraplegic. Yeah. Or who have lost the use of their legs. You have a bedside commode. I, uh, yes, I have Good. had for the last two weeks. Good. And, and I'm thinking about getting one. Oh. I'm tired of getting up three times no. a night. No, no, no. No, there's a, <laughs> no. you do not want a bedside commode. Problem with a bedside commode is that the commode is still there at your bedside. After you've gone and used it, oh, it's I forgot not about a good, that. Not a good thing. I forgot about but, that. But um, big, big shout out to the, all the people at Big Wake that they've been helpful in a lot of ways. That's great. But I'll tell you what: when the, you go through physical therapy in anticipation of being off your feet and in a wheelchair, they work you like crazy. Get your arms. Uh, oh my gosh. Three hours a day, they were working my arms and legs. Yeah. So what what is occupational therapy? Let's talk about that. Okay. I had it explained to me. I probably forgot it. I mean, is this to make you a better radio personality or occupation? No. (laughs) Physical therapy is to get me to go to work. That is, do the physical work that it takes to get me along the line. Occupational therapy is to to be able to work when I when I am at work. Oh, I mean I've got of course I've got a mo I've got to roll over carpet in a wheelchair. Uh, Anybody want to try that? Why don't you get one of the electric ones? No, no, yeah, you I mean, could you know you could be uh, you know whirling around and insurance wouldn't cover. It. Come on. Oh, and I just want to say hello to my deductible because yeah, hi deductible. Clearly, I've met my deductible and then some. Yeah. This past couple of weeks. Yeah. That's you have to take antibiotics now, or are you done with that? No, no. I'm old. And let me ask. Okay, so you didn't feel nope. the pain. Nope. How did you find out your feet were bad? I lifted up my foot. I folded my leg. Oh, you were crossing your leg. I crossing my leg. And you looked, looked down at the bottom of the foot. And you said. And there was, essentially, you know, all that tough skin you've got on the body. Right. Uh, mine was sloughing off. Wow. It was, yeah, yeah. it was terrible. Wow. Terrible. And you How know, long did you stand on that thing before you burned? How long did you We don't know. Doing? We really don't know. I yeah. didn't pay attention. Wow. You know, it could have been two minutes. It could have been 10 minutes. Wow. I was watching my grandchildren to make sure they didn't drown. Right. So I'm standing on this deck. You know, it's this Why artificial. Why weren't you wearing flip-flops? I should have been. Yeah. Oh, no, from here on in. Yeah. You're yeah. not walking around barefoot. Gosh, I think I'll remember that. All yeah. right. <laughs> Another half hour coming up on this show. This is Heart Health Radio. Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio. Oh, oh, oh. HeartHealthRadio.com. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. 
This is Heart Health Radio, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Our telephone number is 919-860-9783. Here until 1.30, got a football game coming up this afternoon. The pregame starts in just minutes. Really? Yeah. Hey, the game's not till 3.30. Doesn't matter. One what are they th- going to talk about for two hours? It doesn't matter. Well, they'll talk about the game. Well, but yeah. You know, this is one of the things about sports <laughs> that I just don't understand. What? Uh, is people spend more time talking about it than yes. playing yes. it. Yes. You know, and uh, do you know why sports are so popular in the U.S.? And this is the thing that really amazed me, actually all over the world. What? Gambling. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, people betting on sports is yep. the reason why. They're so popular, and that is the truth. They've done the study, right? And you know, fantasy baseball. Yes, there. I mean, I've got people who you know, hey, you want to go out to dinner Saturday night? No, I've got the draft, and I went, the what draft? And they're they're gonna <laughs> get together with a hundred guys, yeah, and they're gonna draft the yeah. players for their fantasy baseball teams. I think or football teams. Fantasy baseball is probably more interesting than actual baseball. Well, but see, they, have you seen the statistics? What? W-A-R plus. That's how I pick it. Wins against replacements plus. I okay. mean, it used to be yeah. your batting average, yep. Yep. your runs batted in, your earned run average. Now there's something called WHIP. Yeah. Wins, sorry, walks, hits per innings pitch. Right. Have you seen the formulas that they use to sure. develop this stuff? Sure. I mean, these are economists who are going into baseball. Right. You know, and and creating all this stuff. I just, you know, what's my favorite thing to do at the Notre Dame football game? What do you think it is? Oh, my two hot dogs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, get some. And hot then yeah. the next half, what do I get? My nachos and cheese and chili. Oh, yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You but don't it's sit just, there doing math. I don't know. It's just fun. Yeah. It's just fun to be there. Yeah. I have never bet on a game except with my son-in-law. A dollar a bet. Yeah, yeah, you sure. Know. And uh, so far, uh, I won against Notre Dame. We were we beat the spread, <laughs> and I the Marshall game wiped me out. Yeah. We lost to Marshall, and it was bad. <laughs> but I'm not betting on this game. I, I if if you're gonna be listening, yes. okay. So Carolina is one of the most potent offenses in the country. Yeah. Okay, it's just yeah. incredible. Yeah. But their defense, yes. is terrible. Yes. Well. So yeah. now Notre Dame's got a good defense. They've got a terrible offense. Okay. So we'll see uh, who's going to win. Uh, there are some health issues. Uh, Tyler uh, Buckner, who is the Notre Dame quarterback, is out with a clavicular, fr- uh, not a fracture. He pulled the tendon off his clavicle, which is really bad. Clavicle is the, uh, That's the front the, here? Or the, yeah, it's uh, that bone that goes from your shoulder to your mid part, the upper part, your sternum. Right. Yeah, collarbone. Yeah. The collarbone connected to the... Shoulder bone. <laughs> I busted mine yeah, yeah. years ago. So anyway, I'm excited. Uh, Notre Dame um, is going to play at Carolina. It should be a good game. Good. Uh, I will not be broadcasting, um, but uh, you know, I've always thought about that. You want to? You know, it, if you ever tried, I tried to 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 just talk along. Yeah. yeah. It takes a really Im- impressive skill yep. because you have to absorb. So much information coming on. You have to know all the players by their numbers right, and right, everything right, yeah. that they do. It's yep. really it's really amazing. All right, so there is a story. The uh, fellow who broke the story is named Matt Walsh. 
with Daily Caller. Yeah. And he he what he essentially did is real reporting. Yeah. He contacted Vanderbilt University Medical Center. He also went to their web pages and found out that Vanderbilt University Medical Center makes a lot of money on transgender surgeries involving minors. Yep. And Let me tell you what I think about that. Yeah. Um, I am not transgender-a-phobe. I think that if adults, and I'm talking about people who have gone through adolescence, whose brains have matured. You know, you know, they've done it by MRI scanning. Yeah. Your brain does not reach the ability to make completely rational decisions until you're 24. Okay. Now, obviously, there are some people who earlier and some people later. Yeah. But this is why you got to be careful with your kids if you give them the keys to your car. Because what do they do? They don't think. They drive down the road at 100 miles an hour drinking, you know, thinking it's fun. And they don't think of the consequences down the line of smashing their car and killing their friends. For example, my kids got a car at 16, but they were not allowed to drive with anybody else. They couldn't have friends in the car. They were not allowed to drive with their friends. And when parents do that, there is a much lower risk of a death of your child in a car. So what is going on now is they are encouraging five-year-olds, seven-year-olds, 12-year-olds that if they have, for example, females becoming tomboyish, to go ahead and make this gender change. And now you have all these women and all these men in their 30s who are having regrets. And, you know, you would think... We don't let children drive cars until they're 16. Right. We don't. I can remember when my, when I went to Paris with my wife mm-hmm. and my sister came to watch over them. One of the things our pediatrician said is have legal papers signed. Yes. That she can make medical decisions for your kid. Yeah. So, for example, if your kid went in with you know an appendicitis. And needed surgery. Right. You have to have someone sign permission who's not the kid. So right. we're going to let kids decide to cut off their breasts, to go on what's called puberty um, uh, blocking medication right. without their parents' permission. Yeah. And yet we won't let them have their tonsils taken out. Right. Without their parents' permission. I couldn't get an I don't understand in this. high school. I couldn't get an aspirin in high school. Without your parents' permission. Without them signing And so off. I, I guess I don't understand this at all. Let me give you an example. Uh, Brad Pitt's child, uh, Shyla Jolie or whatever, Shyla. Yeah, yeah. She was a tomboy. Okay. She wanted to dress in boys' clothes. Um, they let her. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And now she's on Instagram as a grown woman. Right. And the... But the point I'm trying to make is that something is wrong with the healthcare system that allows uh, the concept that transgenderism um, uh, transcends the normal way that we think about children and healthcare. Right. Um, you can't make judgments. Now, let me give you another example. Suppose. You have a 16-year-old child yeah. who has lymphoma. 
Okay. They don't let the child make the decision about treatment. Right. So suppose a parent refuses to treat that child for lymphoma. Okay. What happens? I don't know. I Okay, let me give you an example. The hospital. I, this is another Weefald story. This is yeah. a really good story. Okay. I had a patient who was Amish who had been neglected by their parents with a heart issue because they had nine other children, yeah. and it's in the Amish way of life that you don't spend all your money on one child. They don't have health insurance. Right, right. So they brought them to me on a Saturday, and this kid was nearly dying. And I literally carried him in my arms to the ICU and stabilized him. He needed a heart transplant. Right. Family refused to sign for it. Refused. Okay. What did I do? What, what was I obligated to do? You, you. I went to court. Right. And I made that child a ward of the state. They transferred him to um, to Indianapolis. He got a heart transplant. Yes. And I was one day uh, minding my own business, and I got a call on my cell phone. It was from his mother. Oh, yeah. She got permission from the bishop. She got the kid back. Yeah. Because they realized, you know, well, you know, the thing is, the state paid for it because he was a, a ward of the state at sure. that time. Sure, yeah, yeah. They got, his, they got him back. They were incredibly grateful to me. Okay, incredibly grateful. Right. And they, she got the, you know, I don't know, Amish are not allowed to have phones. They're right. not allowed she got the permission from the bishop to get a cell phone so that if there was an emergency, she could call. Yeah. She called me and invited me over. And um, I drove over there with my daughter. They had a whole thing of Amish food set up. Yeah. They had probably 500 people there. Yeah. And here he was riding his bicycle. And this kid had grown five inches. Yeah. From yeah. the time I had seen him. So what does this story tell you? Is that, the transgender activists are saying that what they want and their agenda yes. is more important than a small child who has been neglected for whatever reason that parents regret now. Right. And that they can just walk in and have their breasts cut off and go on these really powerful medication right. to prevent puberty and... I'm sorry. As a physician, I'm making these statements. But I, if someone's 25 and wants to go through that surgery and change their gender, I'm all for it. I can be their friends. Right. I can love them. Right. But for somebody to say that a child should be able to do this without their parents' permission, and you know what? What? Even with their parents' permission. Right. The puberty blockers, the medicine that blocks puberty... That's essentially chemical sterilization. It's, yeah, absolutely. So, so, and it has long-term effects. So, if you're a boy and you go on puberty blockers, yes, and when you're 26, you decide that you want to, you really are a man, yeah, and that you were having a mental crisis. It's it's called gender dysphoria. Yeah, gender dysphoria is not the be-all and end-all in changing and becoming a man. And and now people are suing their psychiatrists because, you ha- you know, the psychiatrist has to sign off on it. Right. One lady who transgendered into a man at age 14 yeah. uh, saw the psychiatrist for a grand total of 15 minutes. Mm. And he signed off and said, this woman has severe gender dysphoria and needs to transition. And now they're suing. And I think rightfully so. 
And we need to really rethink this. As a physician, I'm saying this. Right. Now, you know what? What? This will get me blocked off Tinder. A guy who said the same thing. Oh, sure. Not on yeah. Tinder, I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> What's it called again? Um, Twitter. TikTok. TikTok. Got right. kicked off of TikTok yesterday right. for saying what I'm saying. All right. Rob in Raleigh. Welcome to the program. How you doing, Rob? Hey, Rob. Uh, hey, Dave. How you doing? Good. What's up? Good. I'm glad you're out of the hospital. My prayers were answered. Thank you. Isn't Thank it great? You. <laughs> uh, and, Doctor, you're awesome as well. Thank you. So I have a question for each of you. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Weasel, so you mentioned earlier that <clears throat> I have two LDL. The LDL is 14, and my NIHLDL is 72. Okay. Is that good or bad? Uh, what was the first one again? The VLDL. Oh, the big LDL. It was 72? It was the VLDL. Oh, the VLD. V is in Victor. So your very low density lipoproteins were what number again? My hearing's real bad. Go ahead and say okay, it. I'm going bad too. Uh, others rock. Yeah. Uh, 14. 14. Uh huh. And your LDL was 72. Yes. And what's your background uh, in terms of knowing if you have cholesterol buildup in any of your arteries or not? Well, my doctor put me on Rodestavan. Try it again, Rob. What's that medicine? <laughs> it's a uh, root uh, statin. Some sort of statin. Yeah. Okay, but what I'm saying is, have you have you had a heart attack? Do you have blockages anywhere in your body? Have you had a screen to see if you've got cholesterol buildup? Oh no, sir. Everything's good. I swim uh, twice a week. I go to the health tracks twice a week. Uh, I'll be 69 in two weeks. Right. Uh, workout, heavy weight. Uh, I did have a calcium score of uh, 692 four years ago. Calcium score 692. Okay, so that's pretty high for a man um, at your age. Uh, at, at my age, too. All right, so suppose I had a patient with a calcium score of 692. And for those who are listening who don't know, the calcium builds up on the cholesterol blockages, so we have a score. You can get that with a regular CT scan. So score 692 for someone at our age in the 60s is fairly high. It puts your risk of a heart attack or needing a stent in the future about 13% higher yeah. than somebody who doesn't have that score. So if I had a patient like you, um, the numbers have changed now. And I would try to get that patient's LDL cholesterol below 50. And the reason is at that level below 50 there is a greater chance that you have what's called plaque regression. And that means that the cholesterol actually goes away. Now, the example I've given to everybody is me. I had a calcium score of about 130, and it was all in my Widowmaker. So I had a plaque there in the Widowmaker, and I passed my stress test. So it wasn't a, a tight blockage. I didn't have any symptoms. Yeah. My LDL was 178. I went on high-dose statins, got it down to only 135. And I went on the Repatha, which is the injection that works in a different way. And my LDL got down to 11. Now, you can't go too low with your LDL. If you have a physician who is saying that your LDL is too low, uh, that is uh, something we've uh, dismissed. Um, there are people with LDLs of four. And that's how we discovered this medicine, Repatha. Yeah. Um, it's a long story, but the bottom line is you have plaque regression. And so what you might ask your doctor 
Um, your VLDL is low. I like that. But all the studies that we've done um, to prove that you can regress the plaque, you can get rid of it, have to do with the LDL score. Now, the interesting thing is triglycerides probably are also important, and that's the blood fat. And the lower your triglycerides, the better. And so all these things now, you may hear APOE, you may hear um, you know, lipoprotein A and all these things. Here's the interesting thing. If you get your triglycerides down below 100 and your LDO below 50, all those things get better too. Yeah. So you don't really need to measure them. Um, but the LDL is the key thing. So I can't treat you or diagnose you over the telephone, and I'm not trying to. But if I had a patient like you with those numbers, uh, my goal uh, would be to get that LDL cholesterol. And that's the only thing that I would check besides the triglycerides. I'd want them down below 100. Um, I'd try to get it down below 50. Um, Do you have an office in Raleigh? Does he have a, Do you have an office in Raleigh? He no, does not. No, I don't. But, um, and I have one in, I'm thinking about it one day in Raleigh. What do you think? Sure. Can I come over to your house? You can. Yeah. I just hope, you know, my father-in-law, his, he was a cardiologist in one socket, Rhode Island. His office was in the first, he had one of those walk-in garages that was below the level of the house. (laughs) He had a great office in there. Yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh. Wouldn't that be great? The only problem is my, my wife said that she got all mad because during office hours she couldn't play on the first floor because <laughs> they could hear her stomping around. But um, no, I, I think that you can just go back to whoever prescribed your medications and you can quote me. I don't mind being quoted. Um, you can even, I don't know if you Google, but you can Google the article that says the LDL below 50 is now recommended for those people with the calcium score that you have uh, to uh, stabilize right. and prevent progression, but it also shows uh, you can prevent, uh, you can induce regression. And uh, one more thing. Yes. Triglycerides. Dependent upon the fat you eat or the sugar you eat. What's the answer? I assume it's sugar. It's the sugar you eat. Yeah. So if you have high triglycerides, it's because you eat too much sugar or white flour. And, and that is, I think, the misnomer or the misunderstanding that people have about triglycerides or, quote-unquote, blood fat. So you're heading in the right direction. And I'd pat yourself on the back. 70 is the old target that we used to have. Um, but now Doctor, it's... One other question. Sure. Do I need to call my general doctor to get an appointment with you, or can I call your office directly? Uh, you can call the, You can call my office. Um the, the thing is, I do this program. A lot of people do programs like this to promote their practice. Um, what I try to do with this is, number one, educate the public. Number two, right. have fun. Right. This is the best time of my week. All right, Rob. That's, I, a, that's a sad thing. Tell right. you what we're going to do. Um, I'll just give you my phone number. You got a pen? On the opening show? Yeah, 919 this, you, and let me tell you, the first person I've ever given this phone number to over the year. And everybody, everybody else, Rob, just in case people are Googling, Dr. Weefall didn't mention that he's that his office is called Millennia Cardiovascular. Yeah, but if, if you Google me, it. if you Google me, the number's didn't, there too. Didn't mention it at all. Yeah. All right, got to okay. run.
Dave, before you hang up, yeah, is that you playing ukulele at the begin- opening of the show? Yeah, that's not me. Oh, you know the ukulele, ukulele, ukulele is right? one of my favorite instruments. You play the ukulele, Dave. Yes. I would. You know, it's not, right, it's not that got, hard to learn. Rob's got to deliver a message to me. Yes, okay. Rob? Dave, are you still playing ukulele? And I, I am a little bit, yes. But that's not me at the beginning. I was never that good. But thank well, you. It, gentlemen. Have a wonderful weekend. All right. Take care. And God bless you. Thank you very much, Rob. This is Heart Health Radio. This is Heart Health Radio. Welcome, Bill, to the program. How you doing, Bill? We've got a very short amount of time because football's starting soon. Yeah. Your question, Bill, has to do with ED treatments yeah. that have to do with yeah. sound waves. Sound waves. Have you had it? Because clocks. let me tell you, it works. Have you had the treatment? No, sir. Okay, so the way that it works is high-intensity sound waves that don't damage tissue but they reach the blood vessels uh, in the penis and before, you know, sort of above the prostate, and they open them up. And that's how you get an erection. Blood flows into the corpus callosum, which is um, a trap uh, for red blood cells. Yeah. And then the veins out of the corpus callosum constrict, and okay. it, it causes the penis to become erect. Now... If this is the one thing, is that these machines uh, that produce the sound waves, you have to test it and make sure it works for you. And if it does, then it's fantastic and you don't have to take as many drugs or pills. They work well, too, by increasing blood flow. Now, suppose you can get the blood flow in, but your veins aren't good. Then you need one of those rubber rings that fits on the base by your um, pubic bone. And so I would encourage you, if that's a problem for you, to uh, talk to your urologist. They do the test on the device. The device itself is is expensive. Um, They can run um, anywhere from $200 to $1,000. But for some people, I think that uh, that's worth it. All right, Bill. Thank you very much. How much time do we have? We got uh, 10 seconds, 15 seconds. All right, I want to see if I can play this. In honor of Bob, it's one of my favorite ukulele songs. This is uh, uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. The guy who did this is Hawaiian. He did this song, did it up, went into the studio, one take, Over the Rainbow. One of my favorite songs. Brother is. All right, well, that's it. That's Heart Health Radio. Doctor, thank you very much. Love you. I love you too. uh, We're going to be back next week. We don't know yet what the schedule is for UNC football for next week, but we will be back next week either Friday night or Saturday afternoon on FM 98.5 and AM 680 WPTF.